Hey, this is Brent Jensen. You're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. Friend of the show, Brighton Rock guitarist Greg Fraser makes a triumphant return to the show today. Greg, how you doing, brother? I'm doing fantastic, Brent. How about yourself? Good. All good, man. All good. Right on. So welcome back. I know that you were out in Western Canada with Brighton Rock playing dates with Coney Hatch a few weeks back. Is that right? Yeah, just a few weeks ago. Uh, Calgary, Alberta, and uh, what was the name of the – oh, my God, I forgot the name of the casino. It was a co- nice big casino there, and, uh, you know, every once in a while they have hard hard rock nights. So Coney Hatch and Brighton Rock uh, were there, and a good time was had by all. It's been a while since we got to hang with the Coney boys. They've been out of the picture. Uh, they pretty much were broken up yeah. when Brighton Rock started, I think, because I remember Andy uh, Kern, when he did a solo thing there, but uh, – it's the first time we've actually did a concert together, so that was kind of nice. And you know, got the hang to the wee hours, and uh, you know, Andy was telling us when they were touring with Judas Priest and all the naughty stories and stuff. And, <laughs> yeah, I think we we closed her down around three or four in the morning, you know, just hoisting them back, and uh, it was awesome. That's great. Good. I actually saw uh, Coney open for Steve Harris's band, British Lion, a couple of weeks ago downtown. How'd you like it? It was great. The Coney's fantastic, man. Sean Kelly's oh. with them now. Yeah, he was yep. killer. He's just—he's oh, money, right? Oh, for sure. And he—he he brings a, a breath of fresh air to the band too, because yeah. uh, you know he doesn't—he uh, doesn't look stiff on stage. You, sometimes you get these uh, these side guys or filling guys, and they just kind of just so worried about making mistakes. They kind of just stand there. Yeah. There's no charisma, and uh, you know Sean's an old rocker. Yeah. Say old, he's a lot younger than me, but <laughs> but no, but he he was he's great. It's great to watch. He plays all the parts great. The band was tighter than ever. Yeah, you could see that uh, they really enjoyed it too. They weren't just phoning it in, so that's that's always nice. Yeah, I picked up on that too. They looked like they were having a lot of fun. I talked to Carl after, and um, well, I talked to Sean after the show too, and and you know they were loving it. They they were having a great time. It's the first show of five dates that they were doing with British Lion, and and they were super stoked. Oh, I can imagine how exhausted they must have been. Because I know when we do Brighton Rock, we only do two or three shows a year now since Mm -hmm. 2012. And, uh, you know, when we're on stage, we give it, man, 100%. And, you know, we're not young guys anymore. So the next day, it's like, wow, how do we (laughs) do that every night? Yeah. So those guys, those guys are doing like they were did like five or six shows, but they were almost back to back, weren't they? Yeah, they were. Yeah, all the way through Ottawa, Montreal. Yeah, I think they did f- five and six nights. I think. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Great for them, man. That's so cool to see. Yeah. So uh, listen, Greg. Last time that you were on the show, you pointed out uh, the songs that you brought that make your skin vibrate were mostly ballads. So yeah, wimpy know. ballads. What's the matter with me? <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> and I, you know, you got to go. You got you got to be honest, right? But this time with this list that you've got, you really brought the rock. I'm redeeming myself. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a great list of tunes here. Right on. You want to get started? It's up to you, for sure. Okay. So uh, I love all these. So your first one is uh, Thin Lizzy Warriors. Yeah. You know what? When uh, I think that was – what year would that come out? That was like in the mid-70s. I think it was 76. It's Jailbreak, that right? 76, yeah. So I'm 55 years old now. So that was like 13 years old, I think, then. And I remember uh, – like growing up on a you know Niagara Falls, it's a border town to Niagara Falls, New York, and also Buffalo. Mm-hmm. So Buffalo, they still have a station there called Ninety Seven Rock. It's I still, love that station. Yeah, it still exists. And back when I was a teenager, 
you know, stations like that would introduce you to music that you wouldn't hear on Canadian radio, like Q107 and stuff, like bands like UFO mm-hmm. and Judas Priest and early Scorpions. Like Canadian radio would never touch those songs. And then uh, same with Thin Lizzy. So it came out. So they, they'd have these phone-in contests and stuff, and you can win prizes and stuff. So I remember calling in and uh, not knowing what you're going to win. Call in now. You win a couple of CDs or no, back then vinyl, a couple mm-hmm. of vinyl and tickets to something, right? So I phoned in and I won. So the two albums, the one was Thin Lizzy Jailbreak. Mm-hmm. And the other album was Seals and Crofts Get Closer. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a contrast, eh? That's but, funny. Uh, yeah. So, you know, the Thin Lizzy, I, I only knew the one song. I don't know if it was... Boys Are Back or Jailbreak, one of those was on the radio. Probably was Boys Are Back. Mm -hmm. So that was the only song I knew. So when I got the record, I just played those two songs back to back over and over. And then you start to delve a little deeper and discover the song Warriors. And that song changed everything. It's like, wow, how come this song? Like even to this day, nobody really knows that song. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's the epitome of like two, you know, Gibson Les Pauls cranked through Marshalls, like in stereo, like not overly processed, just real streetsy rock and roll sound with great production. And in the middle break there, there's a, a crybaby Wawa solo that Scott Gorham does that's just so awesome. Like to this day, it's probably one of my favorite crybaby solos because not, you know, Slash kind of brought it back with the guns and stuff. But before that, you know, it wasn't really too popular and people that People that did use it, they just made it go wow, 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 wow. You know, they didn't they didn't really like use it to sculpt the tone. Yeah. If you listen, if you get a chance, listen to the solo he does on there. It's like, oh my god, it's so awesome. And then, uh, yeah, that song is killer, man. Well, they're they're a great tandem, those two. So Scott Gorham and Brian Robertson. Oh, they they were awesome together, man. Like some about two guitar players because like I even have this problem when I record my guitars. You usually do double track, right? You record mm-hmm. the rhythm on one side, you know, stereo right speaker, and then you do a re- record it again for the left speaker. But when it's one guitar player like myself playing it, sometimes it's too exact sounding, and you really lose that stereo effect. Where uh, those guys, you could tell it's two different guitar players, so it really gives it a wider sound, like a real concerty sound live off the floor type of sound and you can't you can't touch it you know now today and everything's so layered and stuff you really lose a lot of that you know the sparseness and the openness and the dynamics you know yeah that's that's a great band great song great record uh yeah can't say enough about it yeah their sound the tone those two guys had for me made lizzie for sure. Like I said, it's just the, the, the stock plug right into the amp. No no huge pedal boards with effects and, you know, saturation, this and that. Just plug it right in and let it rip, you know? Yeah. Love yeah. it. Uh, I'm going to go back and listen to that record now. <laughs> and like I said, uh, key in on that, the Crybaby solo. If you, you know, you're a guitar player. You'll think, oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about right there. Nobody does that anymore. Like, nobody. No, I know. And that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of good tone, Unchained, Van Halen's next. Well, there you go. I think I was about 18 years old when that came out. And that particular song is probably one of the greatest intros of all time. I yes. mean, it's just so live sounding. It sounds like he's just like, you know, had a few beers and like, come on, let's rock and just, just let her rip. And like I said earlier about, uh, you know, Sean Kelly, like just, you know, not just standing there, like just giving her. And that's what... 
that Eddie's doing. You can tell it's just one take and it's, you know, mistakes and all. I don't care. And the tone at that particular time, like a lot of people have kind of copied that kind of a tone now. But back in early 80s, I think that was like 80, 81, that record, Fair Warning, not one of their most popular records. But that song, his guitar sound is just huge and he never really he's kind of got away from that sound after but that, at the time man wow what a sound and that song just smokes i mean god the energy coming off that uh off that record it, you know that particular song is just outstanding you don't really hear bands that, that have that kind of energy anymore you know you're right and you know with eddie van halen he always um all of his guitars were basically frankensteins of like different parts from like Kramer necks and, you know, strap bodies and stuff like that. Oh, wasn't that so cool? Like he was, nobody did that kind of stuff before him. Yeah. Nobody. Like I, I, I remember like when he put the double coil in his strat, like I, at the time, I don't think anybody else ever did that. If mm. they did, I never really heard of him. It's like, what's he doing? How come he's got the double coil in there? You know, obviously it's to fatten up the sound. Yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah, that, that song, man. Man, when that song starts, if that doesn't wake you up, then you're dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, going back a bit to Thin Lizzy, you, you mentioned 97 Rock. I, yep. I, I, lo- I still listen to that today. I can pick it up up here. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to ask you, when you listened to it, was, uh, was Slick Tom on 97 Rock? I don't remember him. Uh, but I remember, like, Carl Russo. He's, yeah. he's been there for decades. He's still there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he was there back at, back in the day. Slick Tom was this guy. He's still on. He hosts the yeah. uh, evening show. And okay. he sounds like he smoked about five packs of Marley's before he actually, <laughs> like, it's his voice is so deep. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Slick Tom. I've listened to that guy for decades. Oh, that's the best, man. Yeah, that station, I'm surprised they, they, they lasted as long as they did because, you know, the, the way it is these days, radio just comes and goes. But they hung in there, man, and mm-hmm. uh, bless them for it, you know, because they turned me on to a lot of music that I would have never – and it helped me too, being a songwriter. It helped me, you know, form a base of something where to start off because, like I said, uh, you know, the Canadian stations always played it so safe, never really dug in deep. They would never play album cuts so uh, – you know, because I'd, I'd hear bands like Talos with Billy Sheehan and mm-hmm. stuff. Like even Buffalo's uh, local bands, you know, like you hear like Bucks and Actor and and all these other bands, you know. And then we go watch these bands. Like I remember, I don't know if you remember Vandenberg, Adrian yeah, Vandenberg. totally. Yeah, so when that first came out, they were the only station playing that song, uh, Burning, This Burning Heart. And yeah. I'm like, oh my God, this guy, he plays a lot like Shanker. Like this is, this is, a, who are these guys, you yeah. know? You know, back then there's no internet, so you can't just you can't just look them up. So you gotta you know you try to hunt down magazines. There's hardly anything written about them. And so then they end up playing this concert in uh, Buffalo, sponsored by 97 Rock uh, rooftops. And me and Screebs from uh, Brighton Rock went and seen them. There was a hundred people in the crowd. I couldn't believe it. And I think they're from Denmark or Norway or something. One of those. Uh, yeah. It was so cool, man. I still remember the drummer had nothing but roto toms. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, for all you people that aren't drummers, they're uh, they're little different looking drums, but they have a unique sound to them. No drum riser, and uh, the one thing about that concert, uh, like I said, I'm not sure if they're from Norway or, but the uh, the singer, even though he sings in English, he couldn't really speak English. Oh, so really? 
Adrian would talk between songs, the guitar player, and you know, he had a pretty broken English accent himself, but that was pretty wild. Like, wow, this is cool, you know? He's singing these words, probably doesn't know what they are. <laughs> Their first record, I think it was self-titled, was like a picture yeah. of a highway and a shark on it. Do you remember that? That's right, yep. Yeah. And then they had uh, the next record, I think, was uh, a Alibi, I think, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Had this Friday nights. Dun, 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 dun. That was another great song. Yeah, yeah I used to love Bad to Burn, man. Me oh. too. See, that, that's, that makes perfect sense to me that 97 Rock played that stuff because you're right. They always played deep cuts and they always played stuff that wasn't safe. And that's what I loved about them. Oh, I know. It's, yeah, that's the thing. You know, that's what it was so cool about living on a border town, like to discover this wide range of music that, you know, Canada would never touch. They still kind of play pretty safe here in Canada, but you know, but then again, they play a lot of, because of the Canadian content law, uh, they turn us on to bands that we probably would have never heard of before, including Brighton Rock. <laughs> true, true. All right, next, Judas Priest and No Surrender. This is Firepower, right? That's the new one. You know, Judas Priest is my favorite live band. Uh, mm-hmm. I've seen them countless times. They're the one band that never disappoints you. They always sound killer. Halford's always amazing. Mm-hmm. I could have picked all these songs, just, just Judas Priest songs, like easily, because <laughs> there's so many. They're records, man. Oh, from Sad Wings to British Steel, Hell Bent, you know. And then, you know, the Turbo was kind of a weird record. Mm-hmm. But after that, they kind of lost me for a while. They started getting, like the painkiller and stuff, they started getting too thrashy for me. Yeah. I don't know. They just, it's like, ah, oh, now they're starting to try to be like, like the other bands are starting to pick up, like Metallica and Slayer and Megadeth. They're starting to take hold. And I think that Priests started to feel like they might get left behind, so we better jump on that too. And uh, they kind of lost me for a while. Then when Halford left, then they got Ripper in there. I was like, eh. And then when they did come back with uh, Rob, they put a couple records, though, like the one uh, – I forget the one. And the next one was Nostradamus. I bought them. I got every single record. It was like, ah, it's just not the same anymore. But this record – 2018 firepower man what a breath of fresh air it's really? like it's like the old days the production's killer halford's back to where he was he's not afraid to hit the high notes and the song running and this particular song here no surrender it's it's like you said you know it makes your hair stand up man goosebumps i mm-hmm. that's those ones that i'll be driving and i'll play it again like how many songs these days at our age will you'll do that you'll play a song and then play it again all these other records they put out, they're good, but they're kind of forgettable. You don't walk away humming. But this song, man, god damn. Jeez, that's a killer song. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you about Judas Priest. You know, they kind of, they've had their ups and their downs. And it's almost like, they, they kind of remind me of Kiss in that way. Because it almost seems like they open themselves up a little bit too much to outside influence. Like British Steel, uh, Screaming for Vengeance, like fantastic records. And then, uh, you know, Point of Entry was a little bit different. I enjoyed it, but some people said it was too mellow. And then, you know, it's like they, they go lighter, they go more commercial than they go heavy. Then they go more commercial than they go heavy. You know, like with, with Brighton rock, we were, you know, a small band compared to a band of that stature. But what happens, you know, when you're trying to create your sound and you're getting, you know, a record deal, like you have a way of doing things mm-hmm. And you don't have really have outside influences too much. And then when you do see a little bit of success, the higher ups start thinking, well, you know what? You guys are probably more successful if you did this. So when Kiss did that, they got all these outside songwriters, Desmond Childs and all that kind of stuff. And is that really you anymore? You know what I mean? And uh, 
I think with Judas, they, they, it's the same thing. They're starting to listen to too much other influences. Like, you guys got to be more like Slayer. You know, they don't need singles. And so they'll put a thrash record on, and that stiffs. And then, then okay, we better write some commercial songs. And, they, 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 you know, like, a, what was that one song? Uh, they covered Johnny Be Good, I think. On... Yeah, or even that Parental Guidance, that song. Oh, yeah, that was on Turbo. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, no, no. What are you doing? Oh, you know, like yeah. – well, those are the songs like, okay, you're obviously trying to get on the radio and a true fan can see that a mile away, man. Yeah. I was one of them. So you can't, you lost me there, man. You know, like, huh. but uh, with this record here, there's no radio friendly songs. You know, maybe No Surrender could be kind of radio-ish, but it's still heavy as hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Really well-structured record. And uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Did that ever happen to Brighton? You know, you guys saw a little bit of, of success and fame and, and somebody sat you down and said, hey, okay, listen, here's what we want you to do going forward. Did you guys get that? Absolutely. Because uh, we were signed to, at the time, was WEA, which yeah. is W-E-A. And for those of you out there, the rec companies in the States, she had a bunch, but there was Warner, Electra, and Atlantic. So there's W-E-A. So they combined all three of those companies and uh, we were the first hard rock band to s- get signed to WIA. You know, most of the bands there was like Katie Lang, like Honeymoon Sweet, but they're not really hard, hard rock. But they had Blue Rodeo and George Fox and and stuff like that. So at first, you know, this is when Bon Jovi was starting to come out. And, yeah. and uh, you know, Van Halen 1984 was just out with Jump and stuff. We had a good following. We would really sell out a lot of the clubs. So the record company would come and see us and – it's like, well, there's something. We don't understand what the heck they're doing, but the kids sure seem to love it. You know, a band like Honeymoon Suite, who was managed by the same guy that managed us, mm-hmm. they were exploding. You know, they won Group of the Year at the Junos. They had Platinum Records. And then here's our band not doing that. It's like, well, okay, well, you know, how can we make this like Honeymoon Suite? Mm-hmm. So, you know, to be always kind of hovering over your shoulder, like, okay, look at There's 10 songs in the record. Give us three singles, and then the other seven, we don't care what the hell they are. You know? <laughs> was that actually like a, like a conversation? Just give us three singles, and the rest can be filler. Well, it was through our manager, so they would yeah. say it to the manager. They wouldn't really say it to us, yeah. But their manager, he would. You know, this is basically what I want. So we you know. I say, look, I, I can't intentionally write a hit, but, you know, I, I'm going to just keep writing songs. And a lot of times I write songs that aren't heavy, heavy rock. I just yeah. like well-written, melodic, crafted songs. So, you know, if I happen to come across one, you happen to come across one, take it from there. And that's what would happen. So we had a guy, Jack Richardson, a legendary producer who, you know, yeah. produced the Guess Who and uh, early Alice Cooper and a legend. And he really helped me with songwriting. So he knew how to, you know, trim all the fat off and, you know, you know, stop wanking off there. That, you know, that, does your soul really have to be 16 bars? <laughs> you know, get to the, get, get to the good stuff. And so he really helped me with that kind of stuff. And then, so because what would happen, sometimes you'd have a, a great song, but if it's too long, by the time the song ends, you're kind of done with it. It's like, okay, that was good. But if you keep it nice and kind of short, the song ends, it's like, yeah, that was great. You know, you don't mind hearing it again, you know. So uh, to answer your question, yes, they, they would kind of, you know, say, do you got any more songs? They kept wanting, they wanted the hit. They wanted the hit. They wanted the hit. And, you know, we just give them what we could, you know, with, uh, I don't say I am a, a 
hit songwriting guy. Yeah. I just I just write songs and hopefully it'll appeal to the masses, you know, if the case may be, you know. But uh, I don't write a song thinking, nah, this song's not going to be hit. Why bother? I don't do that. I still, if the song's great to me, I just finish it and whatever happens, happens, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, did you write the majority of the songs for Brighton? Did you write like We Came to Rock? Yeah, I write, I write all the music and yeah. I write the vocal melodies. So uh, okay. And then, so I would write a song. Like we came to rock. So I, what he's singing, the melodies, he would hear a tape of me. I would do like a like a, like a ghost guitar track with a, a drum machine, just the basic beat, maybe a little bit of keys and bass, just the basic. And then I would that's what he would hear. So oh. then he, he would hear me doing that, the melody. And then he would write words to the the melody, and then you know make it his own, put that's his own little little things here and there and uh this is jerry right jerry the singer yeah okay. so every song except for uh one more try that's one of our bigger ones our keyboard player wrote he wrote the music for that and the melody i think for the verses but the jerry came up with the melody for the chorus on uh-huh. his own and i kind of helped with a little bit of the arrangement but the, it's mostly those guys but uh every other song you hear is all is all music and melodies were all written by me ah cool yeah the mastermind. All right. UFO, my friend, only you can rock me from obsession. I think that was the last record that Michael Shanker appeared on. Yeah, I think it was. And then mm-hmm. he went solo and, uh, that particular song, you know, it's just such a killer riff. It's an, it's a concert song and it's got one of the best guitar solos. It's one of those songs that you could, you can hum along to the guitar solo it's not just wanking, you know, it's, it, it's, there's an actual melody there. That's what I hate about the, the, the new guy. How come I will see UFO with the new guy, Vinny Moore? It's like, well, because he takes liberties with Shanker's leads sometimes and it pisses me right off. <laughs> Those leads are gospel to me, man. You know what I mean? It's like I can sing, I can hear every nuance to every one of those notes. It's, it's like Stairway to Heaven, the lead in Stairway to Heaven. Are you going to change the, if you're going to play that song, are you going to change that solo? You can't, right? People yeah. expect to hear that solo you know even like a hotel california like that song that lead solo is embedded in people's brains they need to hear it almost note for note and that guitar solo is amazing he he worked on that like it really make it it builds and uh phil mogg's vocals are amazing everything's amazing about that song it's got a lot of energy sometimes their songs wouldn't have a lot of energy but they'd still be great but this particular song has just got concert stage written all over it and i just love it man and that particular record's phenomenal. Lights Out, Obsession, and their live record, Strangers in the Night. Those yep. three records are must-haves. If you're going to buy UFO records, anybody listening out there, those are the three you want to start off with. Yeah. I would even yeah. add Force It to that list. Well, for, well, for sure. I mean, all the early stuff. The production's not as good, but they're still great, man. Yeah. I, I love it all, man. It's so, it's, it's so cool. Because a lot of times... Uh, if you hear a lot of their music, they're kind of blues-based, but Shanker has more of a classical. So the combination of both didn't sound so cliche. You know what I mean? He he had a fresh approach to a lot of the stuff. And uh, when I was 16 years old, I that's when I first went on the road. I quit high school. All I got is a grade 10 education because I went on tour. And our singer at the time, Mark Fretz, mm-hmm. I was 16. He was 18. The other guys in the band were all in their 20s. They were already on the you know they already been on the road and stuff. 
I forget we had to go to Kirkland Lake or something. He wanted to go visit his girlfriend or something. And I said, <laughs> okay, I'll go for the ride. What the heck, right? So he put UFO lights out on. And it's the first time I'm hearing UFO. Mm. And like, oh, my God, who's that guitar player, right? And uh, I just, same thing like I mentioned before, play it again, that record. The thing would end, play it again, play it again. I just couldn't get enough of it. When Obsession came out after that, I was hooked. I was hooked, man. My favorite thing about UFO is Shanker because he, he I think we talked about this last time, he just plays yep. very unique, tasteful solos that are not just straight kind of pentatonic scales. No, he can tell. He works on it too. You, get, you know, it's like recreating a song. You come up with a vocal melody. You don't just kind of wing it, you know, and just hope it's, hey, I hope that sounds good. No, I mean, you listen to people like Billy Joel and Elton John, the Beatles, like those vel- those melodies that they, they play are huge. I mean, and that's what I find when he does with his guitar solos. He's not just winging it. Like he's really thought out the notes just like a singer would, mm-hmm. you know. And sometimes he would have, he would have a, a separate chord arrangement just for the solos to give it a different lift so it wouldn't get old sounding, you know. You know, the chorus ends going in the lead and you're, and you're playing the lead over top of the chorus basically or maybe the verse. But he would sometimes would have these, these interludes, musical interludes would have a life of their own you know like it's like a song in, it, inside itself and uh he's one of the few guys that can do that and, and keep in keep people's interest and i'm one of them yeah next you've got michael shanker on the list here with armed and ready that's yeah that's uh when he left uh ufo like i said uh obsession was the last record he wanted to go solo and then you know i was like oh my god when's this record coming out when's this record coming out <laughs> You know, so, you know, back then, you know, we're reading uh, Circus and Hip Raider and Rock Scene and Cream. And those are my Bibles. Those are my, you know, people go to school, you have textbooks. Well, those are my textbooks. Those are my, <laughs> those are my rock and roll textbooks. That's, that's how I learned everything. You relied on those magazines for all your info. So I kept, when's this new shake? So finally it was coming out. And oh, no, no. I started getting nervous. And they said, <laughs> Who's gonna? You know, who's in the band? Who, do I know any names? And the, they had like Simon Phillips. I went Simon Phillips on drums. Why do I know that name? And, and I remember he was with Toto. And I go Toto. Mm-hmm. Oh, what the heck, right? This guy's not. He's not a rock drummer. Like he's. So then when it came out, it's like whoa! This this guy can play rock. And uh, boom, you got me. I'm hooked on for the ride. Let's go. <laughs> And uh, I was in a in between bands back then. Uh, we were in a I was in a, band, a cover band. We were playing all the rockers, and that's when that first came out. And so, you know, I couldn't I couldn't wait to play that live. You know, I was like, oh, let's play. I couldn't play the lead very good because I was you know Shanker and stuff. But I couldn't wait to start that song, man, because it's one of those songs that it just makes you want to air guitar. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's just. Oh, yeah, the energy, and it's such a well-written song, great guitar leads, great drum breaks, great everything, great debut record. His second record, too, uh, was just called MSG, killer record. Those two song, those two records were killer. And then he put the live record out, and then he had the one with the, oh, what was his name? Uh, he played with Rainbow there. Graham Bonnet. Graham Bonnet. That was the third record, uh, Built to, is it Built, Built to, to Destroy? Yeah, I think that might have been it, but... Uh, yeah, that's when he was starting to get a little too – he started to lose it a bit. I think maybe the drugs and the booze are starting to kick in because now all of a sudden his solos didn't seem so worked out. They kind of sounded like he just threw them on there and stuff. And But those two first records of Shanker are just 
awesome, man. You know, I believe it or not, I do work out once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> You'd never know it, but uh, but in my headphones, it's two bands. It's either Shanker slash UFO or Judas Priest. Those are my two workout bands. Are you yeah. going to be going to see him when uh, he's, the Shanker best coming up in May? Yeah, I, I was looking at that. I think I might, you know. Well, it's got all three. It's got all three singers: Graham Bonnet, Macaulay, uh, and it's got uh, Gary Barden. So, but uh, Shanker's back, man, and uh, these are the guys you got to see before it's too late. You know. Yeah, you're right. There's only one Michael Shanker. There's you know a lot of guys that uh, think they can play like him, but mm, I don't know. I don't know. He's a monster. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I was just thinking as you're saying that he was in Rat for a little while. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, and that was just to pay the bills because, yeah. you know, he wasn't – the solar records weren't doing anything anymore and, you know, the, the people aren't paying the big bucks to see him. I remember he was giving guitar lessons. Oh, wow. Like, like $500 an hour or something like that, you know. <laughs> you want to get guitar? Like 500 bucks, you know. Don't quote me on that, but that's what I heard if that's how much of it was. But, you know, yeah. it was like he sold all his amps, his guitars, and pretty well just gave up and – uh yeah, so I don't know if I mentioned before when we, when we met him back in uh, – did I ever mention that to you the yeah, last Yeah, you, you, you asked him out for sushi and he was fasting. That's right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It reminds me when I, when I was uh, 18 years old, I was – before I started Brighton Rock, I was in a band called Lennox. Mm-hmm. Uh, I replaced Johnny D, who was the lead oh. singer of Honeymoon Suite. Yeah. He, was the, he was the lead guitar player in Lennox. And but he wasn't the lead singer, but he did sing a few songs. So then he decided to to quit Lennox, to go solo, and then which eventually which became Honeymoon Suite. So I replaced him. They're all Niagara Falls guys, and uh, we did a record produced by Mick Ronson from uh, David Bowie. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I I stayed with uh, Mick for almost two weeks. We shared the same apartment. No and, way. That's yeah, amazing. And, he woke up and he'd make me breakfast every day. Hey, mate, what do you want? You know, what do you want for brekkie? You know, that kind of stuff. And yeah, he's really cool. It's And the weird thing about that, uh, I remember he did that song, Where Have All the Good Times Gone, which I think was by the Kinks wrote that. Yeah. But Bowie did a version, I believe, didn't he? Uh, Van Halen did. Well, no, I know that, but I think Bowie did Bowie, a version. Did he? I, I don't know. So... I I ever I told Mick I go dude did you ever hear Van Halen cover that Bowie song he did I'm pretty sure it was that one anyways uh, he uh, never heard it so I played it for him he never really heard it. I goes the the guitar player reminds me of Billy Sheehan I went what <laughs> Billy Sheehan I go that's Eddie Van Halen I go you never heard of him well I've heard the name I don't really know he just doesn't wasn't listening to that kind of stuff he's more into reggae and stuff like that's the stuff he was listening to and. Uh, so I go, Billy Sheehan, if anything, Billy Sheehan copied everything off of Eddie Van Halen. You know, he goes, well, how do you know who Billy Sheehan is? He goes, well, in my solo band, I remember a group, Talis, would open up for us when we played in New York. Mm. And that's how we remember this bass player. It's like, God, who's this bass player? Like, you know, he's a monster bass player. But uh, I don't know how we got on that tangent, but uh, – <laughs> And how do we even get there? And it's probably Mick Ronson all of a sudden, but uh, I have anyway. I no idea. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't remember. It's a cool story, though. Yeah, I don't know how we got there. <laughs> Anyways, well, there you go. <laughs> All right. That's funny. Um, Kiss is next on your list. And that, I love this tune. This is one of my favorite Kiss tunes, I think. It's Flaming Youth. To me, Kiss is like, if you ask a lot of bands, 
band guys who was one of your first bands they're like a gateway band you only get it you know like they say weed's like a gateway drug well kiss is like a gateway band yes to other bands you know like you know i never i, I looked at the cover and like wow so you know i was 13 when that record came out 1976 so i remember hearing uh kiss alive they'd play rock and roll on all night on the radio so mm-hmm. then when the when destroyer came out it was like wow man check out that cover that's you know that cover you know, back then when you would stare at album covers forever, and I thought that was, you know, they looked like superheroes, and uh, you know, the whole image was was so great. You know, Gene Simmons spitting blood and breathing fire, and and that song, Flaming Youth. I'm surprised people don't really pick up on that song. To me, that's the most energetic song on that record. I mean, it just, you know, talk about air guitar, and that song is just makes you want to just jump on stage and go nuts. Mm-hmm. And they don't seem to play that song lie very much it kind of just gets overlooked it's my favorite kiss song of all time and oh then, wow uh, really yeah I, I think it is i mean a lot of the other big songs you get sick of them you know what i mean like you know detroit rock city how many times can you listen to that song i'm sick of it already you know what i mean it's like but that one there it's it's such a cruel cool song man the harmonies the guitar sound I don't know. They're saying Ace didn't play in a lot of the records, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the sound of the rhythm guitars on that is just so awesome. Really great guitar sound. It's such a great record, and you know. And then the next record, uh, well, I think it was Rock and Rock and Roll Over. Yep. Love Gun came out, and then when I heard Sweet Sixteen, that's when uh, uh, Christine Sixteen, yeah, Christine Sixteen, and went, oh no, don't tell me they're going <laughs> bubble gum on me, man. Are you kidding me? Because I was 16 at the time, you know, when that came out. I was like, oh, no, come on, guys. You know, and then you see all the young kids with the Kiss lunch boxes, And yeah. they were selling out to me. It's like, okay, you lost me. I'll, I'll think I'll go over to Led Zeppelin over here. Yeah, but that record, man, that that's everything about it was just it's so killer. The way all songs just meld into each other. But that particular song, that's got concert written all over it, man. I think I kind of like that about it the most. And you were saying earlier about songs being popular, and that's why I didn't like them. You think about rock and roll all night and all the other, you know, super popular Kiss songs. I, I think that I like Flaming Youth for that reason because it, well, first of all, it's a great song, but it's just kind of in that pocket on Destroyer that, you know, it's not God of Thunder. It's not Detroit Rock City. I've always loved that song. I like that and I like Sweet Pain, those two from that record. For sure. Earlier saying about Kiss and uh, their, their sound um, and that, that rhythm, you know, it's really funny because as you're saying that, I was thinking about they have a lot of songs where they, they it's just like a little simple pentatonic rehearsal riff almost. Like it sounds like they're fooling around like do, 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 do. You know what I mean? Like yeah. God of Thunder is like that. She is like that. Watching oh, yeah. You is like that. You know? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, like those songs you're mentioning – they're they're cool now, but it, back in the day, they, they were they didn't do anything. Those songs all those records all stiffed. Yeah. Well, so, you know when that when that Kiss Live came out, if that didn't take off, they were done. Yeah. Because they were heavily heavily in debt, and then when Destroyer came out, it just put them on the map. And uh, a lot of the stuff, even the way you know Gene Simmons always puts himself down and uh, he can't play bass. But if if you think about what he's actually playing. He doesn't. He plays a lot like Paul McCartney. Yeah, where he does. He he doesn't really. He doesn't play like uh, Cliff from ACDC, where he's just writing <laughs> a note, like doom, 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 which is cool for it's ACDC. True. I wouldn't have it any other way. It's, it's so perfect. But he doesn't really do that. He he'll play kind of play off 
the music. You know, he'll play, he'll counteract what's being played sometimes, and uh, which makes them quite unique. You know, and uh, I give a lot of credit to Gene for his bass playing, man. It's uh, sometimes the image kind of you know takes away from what's being played. You know, Kiss, they'll always be in my heart. I was a member of the Kiss Army, and I dressed like <laughs> those guys for Halloween, and got the comic book with the blood and all. The, oh yeah, man, I was a fanatic. My whole room was all Kiss and Van Halen, mostly Kiss and Led Zeppelin back then. My entire room was Kiss and Led Zeppelin posters. Then you get the big, huge wall size posters, like the ones that are humongous. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I was the same. I, I think a lot of us were, you know, at that time. I was I was eight or nine years old, and I, I my first book. I taught. There's like two chapters dedicated to Kiss, just because, like you said, they were a gateway band. And I grew up in a small town, and you know, kids love cartoons, right? So I thought. You know, I kind of need like stronger sensations. I want more stimulation. I want like action and noise and color and and Kiss was that. It, they were a great transition from comics to music, and later to you know hard rock and heavy metal for me. Couldn't agree more. And by the way, your book is amazing. I oh, got thanks. about ten pages left left, so I'm I'm saving them. I you know. I don't want to just because I hate when a book finishes. It's like oh no. So I kind of just been saving them. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. I almost had to unfriend you on Facebook when I, the one part I'm reading, you said you didn't like Tesla. I went, oh, no. Who is this guy? I thought, <laughs> I, thought I knew this guy. How could you not like Tesla? Like, how dare you? And then all of a sudden you got into him. Now you love him. So I was like, okay, you redeem yourself. Tesla's that first record, man, is amazing. And uh, that's cool you mentioned those guys in there. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, you get, you get what I'm saying about Tesla, though, right? What do, you, what do you mean? You know, their introduction to me was signs. They didn't have any oh, image. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. And when I really kind of, it, it was my own fault. When I really dug into it, I thought like, wow, I missed the boat on this. This is really terrific. But I, you know, stupidly dismissed them based on signs and a couple oh, other you, things. How can you not be? I mean, that's an old, old moldy song from, you know, the 70s. And it's like. How could you, you know, I think, was that whole record all just covers? That was a live record of acoustics, but it was all covers, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, five-man acoustic band or something like that's, that? Yeah, okay, that's right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't blame you. If that's the first time you're hearing the band, you're hearing that song, it's like, mm. mm -hmm. well, you got to give those guys credit because back then, everybody's doing the big poofy hair and bright and rock included, you know, <laughs> trying to, you're trying to glam it all up and, you know, those guys were a little bit more meat and potatoes. They didn't go down that path, you know, and more T-shirts and jeans. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're not going to put the makeup on. We we're going to let the music do the talking. That was pretty risky for them, you know. For sure. But, yeah, but they had great management uh, behind them and uh, kept them on the road. And even to this day, you don't really see those guys playing clubs hardly ever. Playing arenas with Def Leppards and, you know, Poison. the Poisons yeah. and, and all those groups, right? And, uh you know, you gotta. That's gonna be. And we get to play with them. Uh, Brighton Rock's playing the Monsters of Rock cruise uh, in the new year, and Tesla's gonna be playing there. And uh, it'd be great to catch up with those guys. We actually partied with them way back in the the day. Uh, Tesla was opening for Poison in Edmonton, Alberta. Mm. We were playing the Friday and the Saturday night, and uh, they they were playing the Saturday. But both bands came into town the night earlier. And they were both on WIA Canada, too, so they were well aware of us, and, you know, likewise. So both bands came out to our show, and uh, after the show, they all came up to the rooms, and, you know, we just partied and got to know the guys, and the Tesla guys couldn't have been any cooler. That's great. Yeah, I remember the, the bass player, Bobby Dahl, got punched out by the 
by one of the bouncers there because uh, he just thought he'd walk to the front because there's a lineup to get in. Who, Bobby Dell from Poison? Yeah, he decided he, he can just walk to the front of the line and uh, the bouncers wouldn't let him in. He got some kind of a scuffle and he took a punch in the eye and all this stuff. And that was pretty funny. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but the <laughs> Tesla guys were so cool, man. Real down to earth, real humble guys. No rock star uh, attitudes at all with them. And, and Brett was really cool. Good. You know, really, yeah, he's a hardcore Pittsburgh Steelers fan, like our singer in Brighton Rock. Yeah. Who's also a hardcore uh, Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So they had a they had a bond there, so you couldn't get those guys away from each other. It's all football <laughs> all night with those guys, so it was cool. That's cool. That's good yeah. to hear. Okay, so one more here. Uh, you've got Led Zeppelin. The song remains the same. Yeah, the the live version, uh, the live version which goes in the rain song, but that live version, they kind of. Uh, I love the song. I mean, it's. It, it's one of the few songs where the guitar, even though it's distorted, he's playing it on his double neck, but he's using, he's playing the 12 string. That's one of those bands that epitomizes the word dynamics. Jimmy Page is the man. One of those the songwriters that over the years, you really appreciate what he put into the songs where there's layers and layers to the songs. And I find a lot of times you don't get it right away first listen. It's like, hmm, I don't know if I like this. Mm-hmm. And then you come back to it and all of a sudden the songs you didn't like now are your favorite songs. Yeah. They, and those are the ones that last a lifetime. Those type of songs where you really, like I said, peel back the layers because it's not just one thing in the song. There's different things going on. There's different breaks. There's different shades of, of color in a song. And, uh, that particular song, like I said, energy, concert song. Just go on YouTube and put Song Remain the Same live version, and it's it's killer. Yeah, no, I was going to say I agree with you on the songwriting sophistication. You think about the Rain song, 10 Years Gone. You know, there's so much going on in those songs. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, that's that's what you call a professional, a guy that's – you could tell probably because he was a, a session guitar player – the, the the songwriting those, those songs will stand the test of time. They're going to be like Beethoven and Mozart, you know, Beatles and Zeppelin. Those bands they're gonna they're gonna stand the test of time, man, because those songs will live on forever. Oh, they definitely will. I agree with that. There's no question. Okay, so you're cheating here a little bit, phrase. You're breaking the rules. You're sneaking a song in at the end. Me? Yes, Who, me? You, no. yes, you. <laughs> I'm not counting right. You wanted how many ones? You just want to forgot. So you, so you said special mention. <laughs> <laughs> Seven songs plus special mention of ACDC's <laughs> Rock and Roll Damnation. <laughs> oh come on! How can you not have ACDC in here somewhere? <laughs> uh, rock and Roll Damnation. That's the best. My favorite record. Power Age is just the best. ACDC record of all time. You know, kudos to Brian Johnson. But sometimes, you know, later on, those lyrics are getting a little cheesy, you know, like the, you didn't really hear Bon Scott write love songs. They're always, he always had a little bit of, uh, he was always a little, how would you describe it? Like a little tongue in cheek, but yes. uh, a, a little naughty. He'd have a little, little stuff like, hmm, I think I know what you're really trying to say in this song. And, yeah. uh, he could really paint pictures with his lyrics yeah. and uh, the energy on that record, man. And at the, you know what's the weird thing is at the time, what, what was that? That was like uh, 
that was like 77 or I forget, 8, 78, 8, 79. Yep. At the time, I wasn't a big ACDC fan. Really? No, mm. no. I, they grew on me later. You know when they grew on me? It was what? when Back in Black came out. 80. But when I first heard Hell's Bells, I was like, whoa, what yeah. is this? And that's that record was astounding sounding. That record was killer. From that, I started going back to the other stuff and went, wait a minute. You know, this Highway to Hell record in Power Age, this is killer stuff. And then the older I got, the really I really got to appreciate it. And then when uh, that one cover band I mentioned before, we were doing Shanker. They wanted to do this particular song. And uh, I just fell in love with that song, playing it live. It's just the energy just starts flowing and, uh, you know, the goosebumps. And uh, that's what this show is all about. And this is one of those songs. That record is, is top notch. So that whole string of Bon Scott recordings like, uh, you know, Power Age, Dirty Deeds. You know, I think of it like I love Sin City. I've said that before. That's oh, probably my favorite song. ACDC song. Oh, killer song. And Touch Too Much. Yes. Killer, man. But the, oh, yeah, Sin City's killer, man. Diamonds and rest. So good. Just like, a for me, a perfect rock and roll song. Oh, for sure, it's man. It's got everything. The earlier stuff before that, I, I always found their guitars a little too harsh sounding. Uh, sometimes they're a little too out of tune sounding. And uh, yeah. you know, I thought, you know, Angus's playing was a little too bluesy, a little too Johnny B. Goodish. Mm-hmm. But now I love it. You know what I mean? Now it's one of those bands that kind of grow on you, you know? It's like back in those days, I hated Billy Joel. Now I love Billy Joel. Me I think, too. You know, I thought, this guy's a monster. But uh, yeah, I didn't, I, didn't, uh, I didn't like ACDC right away. But now I'm a diehard, man, especially the Bon Scott era. That's for sure. Yeah. I came in, Johnson, and I left Bon Scott. Ah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. There you go, man. Well, there's yeah. your special mention, man. Nah, I snuck it in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can't blame me, man. Come on. No, I do not blame you. And you're definitely Dude. welcome to do that stuff. I, I, I could talk to you about music all day, my friend. And likewise, man. That's what it's all about. It is. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate you doing this. My pleasure. It's an honor, Brent. And I really appreciate you inviting me on, man. Anytime, you know, let's do it. And uh, I think the first round will be on you. And then I'll buy the next round. And uh, <laughs> whenever we do get together, but uh, let's do it, brother. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm, I'm t- and whenever, you know, Brighton plays here, then let me know. But even, you know, let's get together, have a couple drinks for sure. How many? <laughs> More than a couple. <laughs> he did that to me last time, too. I can't say, hey, let's get together and have 17 beers. <laughs> you can relive some of those days in your early days on your book there. Some of those foggy memories. Uh, I really a, got to pick out of some of those days, man. Your yeah. book's some, by the way. Really, really cool. Man. Really oh, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. I'm glad you like it, man. Yeah, it was a great book. I went, I went to Calgary. We flew to Calgary there to do that Coney Hatch uh, show. I Really dug into it there all the way back. And, uh, yeah, highly recommend it to uh, all your listeners out there. No sleep till Sudbury. Thank you, sir. Nice little plug there at the end of the show. Got to do it. It's well worth it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Fraz. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure, my friend. All right. We'll talk soon. All right, brother. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Mr. Greg Fraser. Until next time, take good care, folks. 
Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleepless Slippery, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide. <laughs>